Um, I do encourage you to give to that. Uh, every year uh, that comes up, and that should just be, for every one of us as Catholics, that should be a part of your tithe. The, the church doesn't have rules about what percentage of your tithe should go to a local parish or to the local church or to the universal church, but that should be part of it. Um, there's some things we do as a parish, and you guys are so generous to Lords. Thank you for that. There's some things we do as a diocese, right? The diocese, we feed the homeless together. Uh, one of my favorite apostles in the archdiocese is Mirasol Health. Mirasol Health makes sure that our pro-life mentality means that you and I take care of women who are in danger of an abortion. And I love that. That's really important. And there's all kinds of things like that. Like the Archbishop says in that video, um, or just the video says, uh, we form seminarians, right? We support Catholic education. There's all kinds of good things. So I encourage you to do that. You should have gotten an envelope at the door and you probably got one in the mail. Um, if you're able to give to that this year, I really encourage you. Uh, that's important. So today's gospel, right, is one of those ones where um, it just seems like what is going on? And I hope this week, I always hope you read the gospel for the coming Sunday and you look at it, you think about it, you pray with it, maybe even do a little research. Um, and today I want to break this open because it's one of those times where we just think, what is going on? It seems very strange. And there's two main points I want to make today and two lines that come from our gospel. And I want to start today with one of the most effective things parents do. Right, one, of the, one of the biggest tools in a parent's toolbox, I'm an expert, um, is that magical word we call bribery, right? Um, I knew when I was a kid growing up, and I've heard from many of our parents, right, when you want your kids to do something, right, a bribery is an effective tool. If you, what was the homily about this Sunday? Bribing your children. Um, but they do that, right? You know, you talk to your kids and you say, all right, if you're good at church, we can go to the park afterwards. Uh, when I was a kid, there was donuts after Mass. That was a big deal. You know, that's a powerful incentive. Amen. Right? <laughs> it's a powerful incentive. And it's ancient, by the way, as well. One of the things, uh, after the temples destroyed in Judaism, one of the things we know that the rabbis used to do is when people no longer speak Hebrew as much, when Jewish children, when they would want to teach them Torah, one of the things the rabbis would do is they would have wooden cutouts of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And what they would do is that when a child got a letter right, they would dip it in honey and they would let the child lick the letter in a pre-COVID world. <laughs> that works sometimes. And here's what I want to start with today. There's two big things in our gospel. And the first thing I want to go after is the idea that Christianity is bribery. And I want to I wanna invite you first this morning to realize that that's not what Christianity is. But that you and I are tempted to think that. Right, so many of us in our life as Christians, we get a little jealous of what's happening in the world. You look at your friends and you say, well, they don't have to go to church every Sunday. We look at our, our Protestant brothers and sisters 
And they don't have, they don't believe they have a Sunday obligation. And there can be something with us where we begin to think, I just wish I had an easier life. It's a little difficult to be a Catholic. And in our gospel today, in, in Matthew chapter 20, it's always struck me, as long as I've, as many times as I've read this parable in my life, every time I read it, I'm always struck by this line. In verse 12, the, the ones who work the longest, right, they grumble and they say, these last ones worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And when someone comes to faith at the end of their life, and that's part of what this parable is about, I was reading um, St. Gregory the Great this morning talking about this. We get a little jealous. We're like, you know what? They got to have a worldly life. And they come in at the end when they're older, you know, like the good thief on the cross, and they kind of skate into heaven, and it's not fair. We can think about this with all kinds of things, and here's what I want to go after you with on this. I do the same thing, and sometimes I get jealous, right? I get jealous, and I say, oh, Lord, it would be so great. I'm just, as you all will know, I'm moving to Telluride. I am going to just get a big dog and date beautiful women because the women in Telluride are interested in middle-aged balding priests. <laughs> Hot item right now. Here I come. Uh, we can feel that way. And here's what I want to challenge you on. Christianity is not give something up now and you'll be happy later. That is not Christianity. Marx thought it was. Marx accused Christianity, the opiate of the masses, of being something that said, the church says, just don't have a good life now, you'll have one in heaven. And that was his caricature of Catholicism. And it's not true. The vineyard in Scripture is an image of Israel. And the church fathers say that in the New Testament, that vineyard becomes the church. And I want to challenge you this morning to give up that awful attitude that says my life would be better outside the church. That is a lie. That is a lie It is straight from hell. A life lived for yourself looks good for a second, and selfishness looks good for a second, and pleasure looks good for a second, and it would hollow you out. And Jesus... It is not a burden to be in your vineyard. Because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. It reminds me of the prodigal son, right? In Luke 15, right now we're in Matthew's gospel. The prodigal son only happens in Luke's gospel, in Luke 15. And remember the older brother? When the younger brother comes home and the father slays the fattened calf, the older brother is resentful. And you realize that even though he's had such a good life, he can't see it. And the older brother thinks that it is a burden to be in the father's house. There's an idolatry of thought that you and I have. We have a thought that goes through our hearts and our minds 
where we think that life is easier and more pleasurable and more life-giving outside the church. Brothers and sisters, you've got you've to stop lying to yourself. It is not true. God is a good father. He loves you, and Christianity is not bribery. It's not be good now, and you'll be happy someday. Right? The father's house is the best place on earth. Okay, so that's point one. The second one, I know you're all excited. We have a little Greek today, right? You're always excited for that. So today, at the end of the gospel, the landowner, he says, and we have a weird translation. So in our, the New American Bible, which we read at Mass, the landowner turns to one of the laborers, and he says, are you envious because I am generous. Are you envious because I am generous? Now, that translation captures something real of what this gospel is about. But it's not a very literal translation. And so the literal translation says, is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye, the Greek word for eye is ophthalmos, right? Ophthalmology, the study of vision or the eye. Ophthalmos poneros, is your eye evil? And that's what I want to really get at today. And I want to talk about what is, what is God getting at? What is Jesus going to challenge us to today? And this is something really important for our life together as Christians. So what is the evil eye? So Jesus makes reference to this in a couple of places. He does it here today in Matthew 20. He talks about it in Matthew chapter 6, verses 22 and 23. And it goes all the way back to Deuteronomy 15 and a number of other places in the Old Testament. Now we're used to thinking like the evil eye, right? We think that's what our spouse gives us, right? Like... Last night I said that, and there was, I, could, I caught someone in the back pew. You think I can't see you, but I can. There was a wife, like, in the back pew, and she was like, <laughs> like, that's it right there. That's actually not the evil eye in Scripture. The evil eye in Scripture is all about the poor. In Deuteronomy 15 is a chapter in the Mosaic Law about how you and I are called to love the poor because you and I are poor before God, and he loves us, and he is merciful and generous to us. And so we, when we see the poor, we have been transformed by the way God loved us. That's what the evil eye is about. It's about the poor. And so today's gospel is critical for this, right? If you think about this, in the ancient world, the, um, the economy is an agrarian economy. And so when this landowner goes out, and he goes out at different times of the day, and he brings people in, what's going on here is that the landowner is being generous to the poor. He is not making a good business decision. He doesn't need more laborers in his vineyard. He sees people who need work. And he's being generous to them. And here's the thing. Those people, right, they're not being picked at the start for a reason. 
If you and I lived in that world and we had manual labor that needed to be done on our land, we would go out and we would pick the strongest and the most efficient. And imagine being that person day by day. Maybe, maybe you're a little older. Maybe you're not as strong. Maybe you've had an injury. And day by day, you see people who are hiring just keep walking by. These are the poor. And so when you see a poor person, brothers and sisters, what God tells us is he says, what goes through your mind? What goes through your heart? What do you see when you see a poor person? How do you look at them? Do you have an evil eye towards them? And this is a a little bit, it's a little intense, but I actually think it's quite beautiful. Dante got this. And I want to talk to you about Dante's vision of this in in the uh, Divine Comedy, in the uh, Purgatory. Dante understood this. And he understood, and here's here's what envy is. Envy, and this is why it ties to that translation, envy is sorrow at another person's good. Hear that again. Envy is sorrow at another person's good. Envy is a more serious sin than jealousy. Jealousy says, I wish I was that pastor in Hawaii and I had his church. That's, that's jealousy. I wish I had something that someone else has. We all experience that at times. I get jealous of this or that or the other thing. Envy is more serious because it doesn't say, I just want what you have. Envy says, I wish to destroy what is good in your life. That's a more serious thing. And so in Dante's conception of purgatory, and and again, this is an allegory. It's not meant to be a teaching on what we think purgatory exactly is. But purgatory for Dante is a mountain. And that mountain is the Christian life. For you to become a saint, it, it feels like climbing a mountain. And there's seven levels to this mountain, and each one of them is where you conquer one of the seven deadly sins. The worst sin is the first one you start with. The worst sin of all sin is pride. And pride says, right, I, I am God. I don't need to listen to God. I will not obey. I will determine life for myself. And there is no room for you, God, no matter how much you love me. I just don't care. That's pride. And Dante says that's the steepest part of the mountain. The second one, though, is envy. And what Dante does, and I love this, I know this is a big buildup, Dante, what he does is every level of that mountain, you are healed of that sin. And when Dante, when he's, he writes this and Virgil's guiding him, he gets to that second level of uh, envy and the punishments always show you what the sin is about. And so Dante, when he gets to that second level, and I hope this isn't real because it's kind of scary, um, the punishment for people on the second level of Mount Purgatory, he says, uh, in, this, in Canto 13, he says, the, the envious, 
for all their eyelids with an iron wire are stitched and sealed. All their eyelids with an iron wire are stitched and sealed. Here's why. The reason for this, right, is because they have an evil eye. Envy is about an evil eye. It's when I look at someone else, how do I see them? And do I despise their good? So Dorothy Sayers, who's a, who's a devout Catholic, writes about a commentary on this. She says, The eyes which could not endure to look upon joy are sealed from the glad light of the sun and from the sight of other men. Envy is that sin when you see someone who's poor, and maybe it's materially poor. Maybe it's spiritually poor. Maybe it's relationally poor. And you look at them and you despise them. Dante says they have their eyes sealed shut because they refuse to look at others with love. And now, he says, and as they make their journey of purification and purgatory, what happens is they now are dependent on the charity of the saints. Because the only way for them to conquer that sin then is by the saints of heaven to intercede for them. To look upon them, to see them in their misery, and to love them. Such a powerful thing, right? And I love this. God calls us today, brothers and sisters, as John tells us, John the Apostle, no one can love God whom he has not seen and despise his brother who he has seen. When you see the sufferings of others, do you have an evil eye? And I want to give you the last two points, very brief. The first one is just to rejoice that God is like that landowner. And in your life, the great good news of today's gospel is that God does not look at your misery and have a hard heart towards you. He is generous and he is always there to be merciful and charitable. The second thing is, though, is that once we get that, you and I have to be the same way. And today, if you struggle with this sin, if you struggle with envy, if you see someone else getting ahead of you at work or repenting of their sins and growing in holiness and achieving things that, that you wish you had and you have an envy towards them, brothers and sisters, the cure for envy is charity. The cure for envy is charity. It's to look on others and to wish their good and to will it, to choose it. So today, if you see a poor person, maybe it's not a panhandler, maybe that's not the best one, maybe it's the Archbishop's Catholic Appeal, maybe it's someone in your life who's been cut off from others. Turn your eye to the good. Right? Be like our God who is merciful and turn away from an evil eye. Jesus, today, thank you. Lord, thank you for calling us to your vineyard. And it is a joy to serve you, Lord, in the vineyard. 
And Lord, with the love with which you have loved us, your good eye that took pity on me and my wretchedness, Lord, may I see the world as you see it. May I have a good eye. Jesus, may I rid myself of envy. And may I love those who are my brothers and sisters.